welcome to issue 202.4 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Here we take a good look at that most critical piece of the game, the encounter sets. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labelled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity and benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. I'm one of your hosts, James, and joining me tonight is Daniel. Well, hello. Welcome again. Thanks, Daniel. Good to see you. And Steve. Hi, James. That was very well read. Thank you. Thank you you so much. And of course, the BJL himself, (laughs) Bill. (laughs) Hey, James. How are you tonight? Not as good as you, by the sounds of it. Boy, oh boy, you those dulcet tones sound good tonight, Bill. Thank you. <laughs> Been working at that. Been working out. Oh, all right. <laughs> That's good. James, I got a question for you. Now, you know, we've been learning a little bit about you as this week has gone by. But one thing I have not, I, I've, I've been remiss in asking you is, in this game, Who's your favorite hero to see get beat up? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I'm really sad to say uh, it's, it's not actually Iron Man. Oh. I know, I know. And I really... You, all the good things I, really I said about him in earlier issues, can nah. you... Just... Oh, wait, wait. He, there's still some choice. He could still say Hawkeye. Okay. So, okay. Oh, it's not going to be Hawkeye either. I'm so oh, sorry, guys. I know. Okay, look, here's, here's my thing. And it's a kind of right. So Cyclops, right? Cyclops is oh. one of the guys I want to see him treated like Toad treating him in that piece of wow. armor. He's in the basketball court. Like, dude, put put some little spec savers on your glasses. This <laughs> this guy, like, put spec savers on your glasses. You can't be walking around like without those on. I mean, right? So Cyclops, like a lot of people love him. They find him powerful and. I don't get it. Like, he's so clunky to me. I never have the cards I need. I never have a good time. Um, mm. Like, I don't know. Like, my local my local game group, uh, I'm okay to do a shout-out, right? Yeah, oh, of yeah. course. Oh, cool. Uh, shout-out to the DMV, uh, Marvel Champions folks, uh, specifically Brian, um, another listener of the show, um, who shared decks with me for it. Even with his great decks, I still don't get it. I feel like even Villain Theory like has chatted me through how to use one of his decks, and I, I just, it's not my thing. But Brian also pointed me to a great uh, X-Men podcast, and uh, this is also why I don't really uh, mind seeing him beat up a one. It is thematic, because Cyclops just does never really have a good day in his life, um, which <laughs> sounds really morose, but at least it's thematic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then second, and this is, I think this is the writer's fault, uh, and it's probably a retcon problem. Um, I think the writers did him dirty. He, he basically ditches his wife, Madeline Pryor, and his child with said wife uh, when Jean Grey is like, you know, miraculously returned, returned yeah. for the umpteenth time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just makes like just bad choices. Like he doesn't tell either of them, and it's just a whole big problem. So I'm like, dude, you know, it's probably a writer's problem. I don't know why they hate you. But you shouldn't have done that, buddy. So now Tog's going to get you in the uh, in the basketball court. So I think Daniel he he went for pandering to Mike, who's not even here, saying Cyclops. <laughs> but to be fair, I think feel like Cyclops is the Iron Man of the X Men. So I agree. 
Yeah. Yeah. You're going to yeah. fit right in, James. Great. It works I, for me. Yeah. I can't stand that guy. So, yep. sure. Yeah. Yep. yep. Thanks, Thanks guys. Mm-hmm. Approved. 100%. Well, Steve, it's got to be your turn in this majestic week of, of villain lore. Who do you got for us? It is my turn. I have, I have Pyro. Pyro's name is St. John Allardyce. Or, if you were to say, I believe, Sinjin is how it is pronounced, in places other than the U.S. Sinjin. Okay. So Sinjin Allardyce, who is Australian. Now, wait, James, am I saying that right? Have you heard this name before? So I think board, this is, a, this is a, a board game lawyer situation as well, right? I think just Chris Claremont loved writing people's accents phonetically, and they are heavily, heavily questionable. <laughs> so I, I did I did some like search sure. on like Wikipedia and you know if you if you could Google how do you pronounce this name and I would say Saint up... John. I'd, okay. I'd say Saint John. So are you saying, James, that that Claremont thought that an Australian would say Saint John as St. John? Saint Jen? Saint Saint Jen? Saint Jen? I listened to a bunch of pronunciations before this and it was fairly clear that a few places say Sinjin and a lot of other places just say St. John. So I, I kind of like Sinjin because it's weird. So I'm going to go. It's, it, I'm going to go Wait. with it uh, All right. because he is Australian and he first appeared in X-Men 141 in October 1980 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne in the same issue that Avalanche showed up in. So they're they've been buddies from the start. In that issue, when he first shows up, he does appear as an Englishman, and he has an English accent, and they write it that way, and they, they, you know, he's supposed to be English. But then, on his second appearance, he's now Australian, and they use Australian slang, and he's trying to write accents in Australian, so he, he's Australian. Is he wearing that same purple vest with the, with the neck ruffle that lets oh, you yeah. know that you're an English? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um... So we talked about his powers in 182, but he can control flame. He cannot generate flame. He often uh, suits up with flamethrowers, or he partners with somebody like the mutant Lockheed, who can breathe fire, and then he can take control of that fire and his living flames. Well, why doesn't he just carry around a big lighter? Yeah, he does that too. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, he has like, typically he'll have a suit on with like flamethrowers out of the wrists. And because the more flame he can produce, the more he can control. And he can solidify his flame into creatures. So it makes like these giant snake flame things that he'll attack with. Or he will just burn you to ash, right? He does that many, 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 many times. This is not Kitty Pride's dragon called Lockheed, right? Different, it different is. thing. No, it is Kitty Pride's dragon called Lockheed. At a yeah. certain point, they team up together. No I don't know way. the circumstances behind it, but. It's an English thing. <laughs> Australian. <laughs> I mean, to many Americans, same thing, right? No, we, we understand the difference between England and Australia. Um, yeah, Australia is a whole lot more dangerous. Yes, everything there is trying to kill you, including yeah. this guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but his powers can be thwarted by the likes of Iceman and Storm, both who will put out his, his flames uh, simply by like extinguishing the source. So he has to be careful. He gets thwarted by Storm a lot, who just like rains on him. Um, mm. All right, so St. John's powers, they manifest at puberty, but he doesn't use them for a long time. He has them, but he never uses them because he can't make any money off of them. He, he can't profit from them, and that's the big draw for him. 
I think that's a lack of imagination on his part. I think I so too. Where... I was feeling the same thing. Like, <laughs> I, what's I, he gonna do? Totally with Blob in the circus? Like, yeah. like I guess he's gonna have a barbecue joint. So, yeah. um, shish kebabs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so instead, he becomes a journalist for an Australian wire service. Oh, okay. He goes to places and covers things like Vietnam and Indonesia, and he travels all over the place, and he has all these wonderful experiences. Which drives him right into the arms of the slipcover. Which, by saying that, I mean he becomes a novelist. By he takes these experiences and he writes novels. So, oh, uh, oh yeah. slipcover. So far, I like this guy a lot, Steve. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I, I thought it was like his like evening attire was a slipcover. That's what he like. Yeah, where he made pillowcases with ruffles. Mm. With ruffles, purple. With ruffles. No, unfortunately for him, the critics and all the other mo- like his contemporary novelists, they just despise his work. They just bash him. Um, some of his stuff is just like torrid gothic romance novels, and they're pretty trashy. Okay. Um, but because he isn't given any credit for what he's doing, he 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 kind of gets beat down uh, by all these people that he wants to be a peer with. Here we go again. Right, right. If somebody was just nice to the guy, uh, <laughs> he ends up succumbing to the charms of Mystique when she comes calling to put together her version of the Brotherhood of Mutants even though he has a fairly big readership through the English-speaking world. Uh, his novels are liked by some of the common reader. Uh, well, that's why they're hated by the critics. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how critics work. Yeah. <laughs> the more people who like your work, the worse it is. Do you have so. a goth trash section on your uh, book wall there, Daniel? Totally. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you should see the covers. Uh, a lot of blob in lingerie. It's really mm. disturbing. Um, still, okay, so having his passion like, belittled by those he respects drives him to join up with, you know, Raven Darkholm there. And he joins the Brotherhood of Mutants that she forms. So he joins up with Steve, the Brotherhood. Steve, Steve can okay. I ask a question? Yes. You said up to this point, though, that he has kind of hidden his mutant powers. How does Mystique know to find him? I don't know. But if you want to edit that out, because you don't know, I'm fine with that. I have no, I have no idea. He must use it sometimes. I, okay. They don't tell you all the details. Daniel, <laughs> they appear in the room and say he can control fire. And that I is see. how that's how she, that's how she found him. Right. I see. Right. Um, okay, so he joins up with the Brotherhood <laughs> when they try to assassinate Robert Kelly, which we've talked about. He's also around when the Brotherhood turns into that government-funded freedom force. Mm. Uh, He's in and out of prison with his buddies Blob and Avalanche several times, and they have a nice friendship, him and Avalanche. Uh, at one point, they're all in prison, and Toad rescues all of them when Toad is setting up his version of the bro- Brotherhood. So the guys join Toad's Brotherhood, not out of any respect that they have for Kermit, but simply they feel obligated to because he broke him out of jail. Sorry, it's the story of that poor man's life. Yeah, that's right. Used constantly. Used and abused. Uh, they kind of all are, right? Makes sense that they would all find each other. Yeah, yeah, they're they're birds of a feather. So. Like it, it really is a party of minions, this isn't it? It's 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 tough being at the bottom. All right. So while they're part of the Freedom Force, he does work to capture uh, illegal superhumans like the X Men and the Avengers. He's working for the law, right? I mean, it's government sanctioned. It's during this whole Mutant Registration Act. He's helping to arrest groups known as the Alliance of Evil. Um, he battles against the Reavers. And at one point, he battles Patrock the Leaper um, and some other 
groups like that and other people like that. So how bad can he be, right? He's putting these groups called the Alliance of Evil behind bars, right? But really, he has all his escapades along with all the other guys. But sadly, his story takes a sad turn because he gets infected with the legacy virus, which is a mutant killing virus. And this is where I think you were alluding to before. Avalanche tries to help Pyro with his disease because it, it, it's fatal. He he tries to get it cured. He doesn't want to like lay down and die. He seeks various cures. He does a lot of different things to try to, to get himself cured. Uh, but he doesn't have the money to pay the bills or to fund the guys that want money from him in order to try to treat him. Um, he never did get a government pension from working with Freedom mm. Force. Uh, I think that's a failing of the government, right? We, we don't take care of our people. so. Um, but at one point, this virus is impacting his powers and his judgment. So at times, his powers are wildly out of control. Uh, mm -hmm. He can't control them. So he might be sitting near a candle and just like they burst into flames and burns the church down that he's sitting in when he's talking to a priest, you know, trying to alleviate his soul. And he's he's he, he's he's trying to make peace and he accidentally burns the place down. Um, he doesn't mean to harm these people, but this virus has set him out of control. Kind of like rabies. Yeah, a little bit. Just but like going insane. When you have these mutant powers, and <laughs> it's not great. Um, so he ends up getting manipulated. He's taken advantage of, of in his state that he's in. He's kind of used by some people. Kind of they point him like a blunt instrument at places. And eventually he does die in the arms of none other than Senator Robert Kelly. What? Yeah. Uh, uh, but fear not, fear not, for eventually mutant kind moves to Krakoa, and Charles Xavier there develops a way to resurrect mutants. So who's the first one he brings back? It's Pyro. It's Pyro. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Charles Xavier does something nice? Well, no. Yeah. Because, because ah, the, here we the go. first one is the guinea pig and the test subject, right. and it's not quite right. It doesn't work. All, you know, there's problems with it. So a little disrespectful to Pyro using him as the, the test subject. But um, I mean, still, St. John's, you know, fairly grateful to be alive again. Uh, and he ends up joining the mission at Krakoa to, you know, this is a haven for mutants. And he joins up with effectively a pirate crew of mutants. Uh, like, they have a pirate ship and everything. They call it the Marauder. And mm -hmm. they sail around and they go save other mutants who can't make it to Krakoa. So they'll go and rescue them. It's like a like a marine rescue force. They go save these guys and bring them to Krakoa. I mean, are, are all these mutants just, like, struggling in the middle of the ocean somewhere and they go get them? Or they just chose a ship <laughs> well, they can't, go around maybe the world? They, maybe they don't have a ship. Maybe they don't have a way to fly there. They're just, like, stuck other places. So they'll, they'll pick them up along the coast. Um <laughs> And then sail them to Krakoa. So um, they don't have ID, so there's like no way to get right. on a plane. Uh, right. Right. Eventually, uh, Xavier is murdered while he's in Krakoa, and unfortunately, uh, Pyro shows his commitment to this whole cause by having his face tattooed with a big black skull. Uh, Wait, somehow that his face his, or Xavier's face? His own face. His own. Okay. Face. Where he yeah. tattoos his face with a face. Sort of? with, a black, with a black skull, which is a symbol of his marauder crew who is trying right. to bring people to Krakoa. So, I think that's great. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but during all of his time, we, 
learn that he's also a musician. We see him playing the guitar and singing songs. Uh, he continues to write various novels. And he has some good, better-known works. He has one called The Burning Within. Ooh. Which we could probably guess what it's about. And it feels like it's probably an autobiography kind of story. He also has one called Men Overboard. Uh, which he writes later on when he's in the, you know, out at sea. And he has a current one that's yet to be published. Uh, and it's called The Secret Tides of Salt Wives, a love story between a committed lady and an Australian seafarer. Well, where do you get that idea? Hmm, hmm. I wonder. Huh. I, I'm not sure who the lady is supposed to be. So so this this guy's a, you know, musician. He's playing guitar. He's singing songs. And, and, you know, he's a literary, you know, thinker, writer. I mean, Daniel, you're just getting, you know, this is, that feeling this deep is my inside. Guy. This is yeah. my guy. Which is why I didn't let you do the lore for him. Because mm. it seemed too nice. I would have been, <laughs> yeah. Too nice, and I would have been way too all about this guy. Yeah. Yep. Yet, I would like to hear Daniel's rendition of Men Overboard. Um, well... I'll Not do right it. now, I'll Daniel. It. I'll give you time. Right. I mean, give me, uh, give me a moment. Um, <laughs> I got it. Well, thanks, Steve. This was brilliant. Yeah, that's what I have for you. Gave you gave us much learning. Our dice. So, yeah, Sinjin. Sinjin. <laughs> Google it. Like, look, look it up on YouTube. That some people no. pronounce it that way. Sure, so. sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess we should look at his card. Uh, again, Mutant Genesis campaign box, fourth scenario, 25 total cards, 10 set of cards, 15 encounter cards, and we'll talk about two tonight. Uh, Steve, why don't you read Pyro? Thanks, Steve, I think I will. Okay, Pyro. <laughs> wow. Pyro A is a villain with two scheme, zero attack, Brotherhood of Mutants trait, toughness, victory two, with the forced response. After Pyro attacks you, discard the top two cards of your deck. Take one indirect damage for each printed resource icon discarded this way with 14 hit points per player. Pyro B is a two-scheme, one attack. Toughness, victory, brotherhood, and mutant. After Pyro attacks, you discard the top two cards of your deck. Take one indirect damage for each printed resource icon discarded this way. 17 hit points per player. So he's doing indirect damage after the attack, which means you cannot defend that damage that is being dealt after the attack. Sure. I mean, surely the first thing you've got to be thinking is your domino. You're down to your final two cards, <laughs> and you know that one of them is jackpot. And then you have to shuffle it back, and you get it twice. I mean, here's hoping. I'm going to play that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't forget he gets a boost card for the regular attack, which, sure, it's a zero, but, you know, there'll be a point or two. And then you can take a couple points, probably two points of indirect damage at minimum, right? You're discarding yeah, two cards. Yeah. Uh, which can't be blocked because it's after the attack. So, um. wow, I don't know quite what to think of him. Yeah, yeah I would like to see something a little bit more than a zero on his attack. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is an attack of two that you're going to definitely take, right? Because unless there's, is there very many cards that don't have a resource, a printed resource? There's like one. Um... It's a leadership resource card, actually, that says this card gains a number of resources equal mm-hmm. to the whatever like, allies you have. Allies on table? Different. So that could be yeah. terrible, then. That could be really bad. No, because it's not a printed resource. It's, no oh, printed it's not resource. printed. Yeah, so yeah. good catch. Well, yep. Cool picture. Uh, his, his art, yeah, I was going to say his mm-hmm. art, that's his flamethrower. You can see the flamethrower tubes, and he has this living flame with the giant serpent thing he's made out of fire. So That is pretty cool. 
It's pretty I mean, classic I, I, art. I can't tell where his you know hair ends and the fire begins, <laughs> or his hair's on fire, or his hair's on fire. Yeah. yeah. So, interestingly, he is much more powerful against the Hulk or anyone who possesses a shawarma. Yeah. Or huh. uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, that's a three. That's a three boost. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or three resource. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Let yeah, it, I mean, it's a couple points of damage. So, Just not as exciting, it feels like, maybe, next to the other yeah, ones. I, I I'm think, not worried when he comes out. I think you tend to... I tend to be like, oh, I won't even defend because it's a zero attack, and then and then you get, like, a three boost, you're like, oh, three damage. And then you flip two more, and you're like, oh, two more. Oh, that's five damage. And I, I was looking at a zero. So can be a little sneaky. Right. Mm. So maybe, maybe as a main scheme somehow makes up for it. I don't know. James, why don't you read the atrium for us? I shall. I shall. Uh, so, following a similar pattern, we have a uh, threshold of a seven threat per player. It is titled the atrium, and it is another side to be. Uh, each character gains steady in this location. It, of course, it has the uh, obligatory when completed, add it to the victory display. And it starts with one per player and goes up by one threat per player. Okay, so... It makes sense he's inside the building where he can burn stuff. Uh, I don't... The steady in the atrium, I don't know. Was, it, was there a theme there? I don't get that theme, though. I don't get it. I'm trying to see it in the art. So, I asked the question, does it make up for it? The pyro card. Mm. Mm. No. Nope. I, Sorry. I... I Again, plus one attack is probably better for him because then his zero goes up to a one. Although, I mean, he needs to steady because if you stun him, he is completely, right? Yeah, he's not doing anything. He's not doing anything. His after attack, like, on all that's gone. So I think he wants to not be stunned. So, you know. yeah. So he neutralizes your stun lock decks. Yeah, the atrium, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, sometimes that steady helps the heroes, though, too. It's like the sure. hero's stunned because Blob just punched them, and then you flip the atrium, you're like, ah, I've got steady mm. now. So, yeah. I, guess I guess if there's one that you want to see at the beginning of the game, would it be Pyro of the four that we talked about? It's not Toad. You do not want Toad early on. Yeah, he's the worst tempo hit. Yeah. Or yeah. the best tempo hit. Sorry, sorry. I forget myself. <laughs> Remember where you are, James. How very dare I? <laughs> well, maybe we'll, maybe in the next part we'll kind of talk uh, in general um, and discuss that a little more. Okay. So, um, well, there's Pyro. So far, all four of these guys are kind of meh to me, but hmm. I like Toad. Yeah, yeah. The, it, de- it definitely feels like they need a lot of supporting cast. Maybe their deck. Will uh, will bolster Maybe. them. It'll be interesting to find out as we dig through the rest of that encounter to see how these guys are helped or harmed. Well, folks will have to stay tuned until tomorrow. And uh, right now, James, why don't you uh, tell the folks how they get a hold of us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you feel a sense of steadiness when you're in your own personal atrium? Let us know. You can email us at criticalencounterspod at gmail.com. We are Critical Encounters on Facebook, and you can find our YouTube channel or Patreon. 
by searching for Critical Encounters Podcast. And on Discord, we are Vardane, Big Foam Loaf, formerly Wandering Took, though he disappeared, EGL, <laughs> and Darcy. If you like our show, tell your friends. If you don't like our show, tell your enemies. Pyro, take us out. I'm real glad you dropped by since I've been bored out of my skull. Steve, that was that was maybe the best Australian accent from a non-Aussie that I've ever heard. Oh, good. Thank you. It was was... much better than the cartoon accent that he had. It was brilliant. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well done, Steve. Thank you.